In May of 2020, Republican members of Congress and White House staff packed up their bags to go on a presidential retreat to Camp David. Included in the list of attendees were former Trump White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson and GOP Congressman Matt Gates and Kevin McCarthy. As Hutchinson tells it, Kevin McCarthy invited some folks back to his cabin to drink. Matt Gates was not invited, but showed up anyway, knocked on the door, and asked for Hutchinson in what seemed like a romantic pass. McCarthy then came to the door, said, quote, get lost, Matt, and slammed the door in Gates's face, kicking him out. A couple years later, though, Gates got the last laugh as he led the charge to kick McCarthy out of his speaker seat. It's unclear how much the personal hatred for McCarthy had to do with Matt Gates's obsession with tearing McCarthy down politically. But the animosity is clearly there, and it raises an important question. How much do personal relationships affect the political decisions of those in government? Welcome back to Ad Hoc. My name's Jaden. Take the following fact. Members of Congress who have daughters tend to vote more liberally. In fact, on specific issues like reproductive rights, the liberal magnitude with which members of Congress with daughters vote at cannot be explained by constituent preferences, which suggests daughters are the determining factor. So, personal relationships, whether they're with family members or with other members of Congress, do clearly have an impact on important political decisions. But is that always bad? Maybe not. They might reflect moral guides that attract voters, and they may not be invisible or intentionally hid from view. For instance, on November 8th, in the third Republican primary debate, Nikki Haley said she is pro-life not because the Republican Party tells her to be, but because her husband was adopted and she herself has struggled to have kids. Her personal relationships have affected her policy opinions and will thus govern her decisions made in office if elected. And she openly celebrates those impacts as positive, as do her supporters. So, maybe sometimes, being influenced by personal relationships and events is not necessarily a bad thing. What is bad, though, is when those relationships are hidden or used perversely. Consider the case of Clarence Thomas, who took thousands of dollars in gifts and went on lucrative vacations with Republican megadonor Harlan Crow. And he took measures to hide those gifts and vacations from someone who might have an interest in decisions Clarence Thomas makes. That's bad. And one of my co-hosts, Jack, recorded a whole other podcast dedicated to Clarence Thomas and his ethical failures. I encourage you to go listen to that one too. So we have cases in which personal relationships are celebrated 
and cases where the line was clearly crossed. But there are more ambiguous cases as well. Any given member of Congress meets with a number of people throughout the day. Constituents, industry experts, other policymakers, and so on. And then that politician goes home and has dinner with his family and listens to his or her children and their opinions. Is it wrong for that member of Congress to weigh those opinions more than the views of their constituents, the qualified experts, the policymakers he heard from earlier? Their constituents didn't vote for his or her children. They voted for that specific man or woman. But by electing someone, are you giving your permission to that person to weigh the opinions of friends and family and citizens and policymakers in the way that person sees fit? Or is it the responsibility of the legislator to separate himself from his family when making policy decisions that affect all his constituents equally? Is it on him or her to prioritize the views of everyone else as much as his or her own daughter? Let's go back in time. 1973, Supreme Court Justice Harry Blackman authored the decision that made abortion a constitutional right. But a few years earlier, in 1966, the justice's daughter, Sally Blackman, had become unexpectedly pregnant at the age of 19 while she was a sophomore in college. Speaking later, Sally Blackman said, quote, I did what so many young women of my era did. I quit college and married my 20-year-old college boyfriend. It was a decision that I might have made differently had Roe v. Wade been around. The marriage was over after less than six years, and it took her extra time to obtain a college degree. And then, in 1972, with Roe v. Wade up for decision, Harry Blackman sought counsel in his daughter. Sally Blackman says, quote, It was a case that he asked his daughter's and wife's opinion about. Now, that's an explicit case of an important government figure asking for his family's input. But in many other cases, simply being around family, having a child who went through some particular experience is bound to influence decisions. Is that inherently wrong if it's not said out loud? Or are family members important, necessary moral guides for those in government to rely on? The bottom line is this. Politicians are human, and humans listen to those that they trust and love more than those they don't. Personal relationships are going to have an impact on legislative decisions, whether we like it or not. And so, in my opinion, it is the responsibility of those in government to make sure those personal influences don't completely take over. A president shouldn't have their most personal friends or close family members as their cabinet appointees. Those in the ears of legislators in a professional setting should be those who, whose qualifications include more than being a close friend or family member. Robert Kennedy was the attorney general to John F. Kennedy. That shouldn't happen again. 
So we have to hold our politicians accountable. And if we can't trust a candidate to make an effort to remain mostly unmoved by personal influences, as voters, we have to look at the candidate's friends and family and consider them when considering a vote for the candidate herself. Donald Trump is one of those people. And that's partly why a second term of Trump is so much scarier than the first. In Donald Trump's first term, he was a bit scared or pressured to be as explicitly reliant on his friends and family. Some of his high-level positions went to folks like James Mattis and Nikki Haley and Christopher Wray. But if Trump comes back, his colleagues will only be his friends and family. That's scary. So, what to do? Well, for one, don't vote for Trump. Two, if we want more liberals in Congress, maybe we should simply be encouraging Republicans to adopt daughters. But really, it's on us, the voters, to not be naive, to recognize that ideology and constituents are not the only things that govern the decisions that those in the highest levels of government make. Each person we elect has a network of close friends and family, many of whom might have a disproportionate effect on that person's choices in office. If there are issues with the inner circle, there might just be issues with the politician as well. Think about that next time you vote. Thanks for listening.